Hey everyone, it's Nelly here. Today we are joined by Dr. Steve Allen. Steve is a psychiatrist, he's a broadcaster and an author. We actually met when I was working on ABC Radio and I tell you what, I instantly adored him. He is open, he's honest, he's humble, he's vulnerable in a way that many professionals at that level seem to struggle to be. Steve was married young, he has one child and was divorced in middle age. He took time to recover and then he started dating again on the apps in his late 40s and I tell you what he bloody loved it well for the most part anyway Steve is now late 50s and in a relationship with a woman he met on the apps and I have to say they have the most fascinating first date story you will ever hear let's put it this way it involved an STI test Steve and I talk about changing old habits as we age. We take some great listener calls, one from a woman who set up her ex's Tinder profile and another who feels weird about saying out loud that she bloody loves being divorced. As always, we end with no shade on my ex and she's a 10, but note to self, Steve, not that into handbags. Dr. Steve Allen is bright, he's open, he's funny, and I reckon he's a perfect mix of earnest and slightly jaded, which is right in my wheelhouse. Not too long ago, he was the true unicorn of the online dating world, a single straight man with a job. Listen and learn, he's actually got some great online dating tips. And as always, while we're here, this podcast was recorded in the council area known as Maribyrnong in Melbourne. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And look huge podcast announcement today we're doing another live show i am so excited it's on may 20th 2023 as part of ida hobbit day which is the international day against homophobia biphobia and transphobia and our special guest is oh my god the comedy cabaret camp superstar Ruben K. I am beyond excited. It's a live show at Comedy Republic in Melbourne, but we're also going to live stream it for overseas, interstate and listeners with disabilities. See the show notes for info or go to my website at nellythomas.com for details. And look, not for nothing, but Dear Nelly Plus subscribers got first access to tickets, one of the many perks alongside an extra episode a month. So think about signing up to that. One thing to note is that this episode was recorded over Zoom. Steve lives in Bali, and ironically, his Wi-Fi was better than mine. Curse you, Australian telecommunications. The sound is still pretty good, I reckon, but it is wonky in places, and we had a bit of a lag, so we talked over each other a couple of times. Sincere apologies, but I reckon it's worth it to get the good guests. Last but not least, this is a sex, dating and relationships podcast for adults. If you don't like swearing, it's really going to give you the shit. So off you fuck. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone, how are you doing? It's Nelly here. We are joined today by the wonderful Dr. Steve Allen. In addition to being a psychiatrist, Steve is also a middle-aged divorced dad. And I say that with the greatest love and affection. Steve got divorced in his mid to early 40s. Um, he was a single dad and he had to start again. He is now 59. Uh, he had a period of enjoying online and other various kinds of dating and is now in a relationship 
relationship again that he's been in for a few years. We have a wonderful chat about what that was like um, to be a middle-aged man starting again. We also get into, you know, given that he's a psychiatrist, we get into the value of therapy and also the limitations of it, uh, whether or not we can change and how we can do that. We take some wonderful listener calls on a woman who helped her husband set up his Tinder profile, her ex-husband, I should say, um, and another woman who's very happy to be divorced. And I don't know if she's struggling to own it, but is just honoring um, the difficulty of owning that. We also talk about some shade on one of Steve's exes and she's a 10 butt. Look, Steve is a really interesting human being. He's a broadcaster. He's an author. And as I said, he's a medical professional and we had just a wonderful chat. So I hope you'll really enjoy it. Now, just a quick um, caveat. Is it a caveat? Whatever it is, just a quick note. Steve lives in Bali most of the time these days, so we did have this chat via Zoom. I think the sound quality is pretty good, but uh, not quite as good as if we're in studio. But I reckon you'll enjoy it nonetheless. So here you go, Dr. Steve Allen. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice. Dear Nelly, yes, some help would be nice. Dear Nelly, I'm eager to hear your point of a lot to explore, dear Nelly, when you're 40 or more, dear Nelly, so I'm hoping we can talk it through, dear Nelly, I'm rocking my prime and it's time to get down some, baby mess around some, it's never too All right. Well, welcome to Dear Nelly, Sex, Relationships and Dating from the Other Side of 40. And today we have a very, very special guest. And the reason he's special, among other things, is that he's actually qualified at something, which is rare for this podcast. So we are joined by Dr. Steve Allen, who in addition to being uh, an author and a broadcaster, is actually a qualified psychiatrist. For those who don't know the difference, as many don't, between a psychologist and psychiatrist, you have access to the drugs. We sure do. But you know what? I don't know if I'm qualified. You know, it's interesting saying qualified on account of the fact that, you know, what is a psychiatrist qualified in? The reality is we're qualified in illness, mental illness. Yes. Whereas the psychologists are really the specialists in um, normal human behavior. Behavior. Now, well, a lot of psychiatrists drift into normal human behaviour and yeah. end up practising, by the way, I'm just turning off the air conditioning because it's noisy, excuse the beep. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, real life. Um, and so, you know, I must admit, so when, when you asked me to come on this podcast, I, I, I was... It was with a lot of trepidation. I thought, I'm no expert in relationships. And I was also got to tell you, my current partner, I said to her this morning over coffee, oh, by the way, I'm doing Nelly's podcast yeah. today. And she didn't speak for three or four minutes because she was laughing, saying, you talking about relationship? Bullshit. She said, oh, I'm not missing a second of this. Oh, I'm not going to be an expert. No, come on. You've listened to this podcast. I know you have. And you know that pretty much no one on this podcast is an expert in relationships because the truth that none of us want to face is that 
No one's an expert in relationships. I'm immediately suspect of anyone who goes, you know what, I've got all this shit covered. Like that is just humans are too complex. Like we're having a go, we're doing our best and we're learning along the way, but none of us are perfect. And I think the fact that you've lived a life and we're going to get to that um, is all the expertise we need. I mean, I frame it in terms of you being a psychiatrist so people know your background. But actually speaking of that, by way of background, you and I met uh, when I was working on the ABC, would have been, what, three or four years ago, I think, on ABC Radio. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It might even be longer, five or six years ago. And you were a regular guest at the time and you would come on and share your psychiatric expertise. And I was thinking about this because, as I've said to you before, I immediately liked you. And that, of course, does not always happen <laughs> with people that you're working with. And I reckon, aside from the fact that you're a lovely guy, it's that we have that shared kind of working class background. And in those environments, you don't actually come across that a lot, where I immediately thought there's some kind of bond here that he, that I don't quite understand until I got to know you better. Yeah, that's interesting, interesting isn't it? The working class background. I, yeah, that, yeah, because... You know, I think I've, you know, I mean, I know this podcast isn't about um, working class backgrounds, but, you know, I've had a, I think, a really mixed relationship with that. You know, I constantly, when people first meet me, mm. after a while, one of the common things I get is, oh, my God, I'm so surprised. I just assumed you were a stuck-up little private school boy. Oh, and they often, take, they often take a while. You yes. know, it's often not for um, three or yes. four weeks that I know people and they go, I just assumed you were private school background, mum and dad doctors or whatever. Yada, yeah. yada, yada. And it, it sometimes offends me. But then I reckon I realised a long time that I, re I reckon I really took on that persona at uni because I really, I felt like a misfit when I first went there. You know, there wasn't many kids from um, non-wealthy, non-professional backgrounds. You know, 80% of the kids were from private school. And I reckon I, my dad would say I actually did it in high school. He said yeah. he, he, he felt that I, you know, sort of adapted myself to fit in. And I don't think I got my confidence to really... Um, pull away from that probably till I was mid-30s. Anyway, I got sidetracked. Yeah, no, I think it's relevant. I mean, I think that applies to me in two senses. One, that is my first impression of you, <laughs> and I should know better, um, but it's also most people's first impression of me until I start swearing. Um, and particularly yeah. if you're in, you know, if you're in the sort of ABC land, um, there's a certain language, there's a certain intonation. Uh, you and I have both had the privilege, pri privilege of education, and whether you do it deliberately or not, that does change how you speak. And yeah. I, I do definitely do it deliberately. You do it deliberately, you reckon, because of the environments you're in. Oh, definitely. I, I, on look, I think I, you know, I think early on in my life, I wasn't quite as aware as when I was doing it. it I was yeah. probably just doing it to fit in and please others, and you yeah. know, to not feel like the outsider. But as I got older, I got better at it because my radio background was Triple R, which was a yes. much more casual. And then I did a little stint in commercial and then I went to the ABC. So I did two years commercial and then ABC. And early on in the ABC, I listened a lot to the other presenters and wondered a lot. But And I asked, Lindy Burns was, if you remember, Lindy was the person who invited me on originally and whose show I was on. And I asked her a lot about it. And, you know, she was fantastic. You know, she was you will be very natural, but you can't swear and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so I, I adapted and I could, I reckon I could turn it on and off. You know, yeah. I knew if I was in ABC and I'd, I'd you know, always sit there for a couple of seconds first and think about how I wanted to be and stand. Because also in the ABC, it's not so personal. 
You know, Triple R, you tell anecdotes about your life all day. Triple R, for those who don't know, is community radio. So, you know, someone asks you, you chuck in an anecdote about your own life, you crack up, crack a joke or two, then you give the evidence. That was the usual style, whereas ABC, it's, you know, no one's interested in your personal background unless it's, you know, they're not as interested. That certainly, that was There's more of that fourth wall thing. You know, there's more of a distance. Let me say, and I hope this is not offensive, I think I can say it to you, you yeah. are the oldest guest I've had on. I'm so proud. <laughs> and I, I'm so proud. I appreciate that. Do you mind telling us how old you are? 79. No, 59. <laughs> 59. I'm 59 years old. Um, yeah, I've got zero problem. You know, I, in my 30s and 40s, I had a problem. Right. And but I, I lost it in my late 40s because yeah. I really, you know, and here's a tip. Here's, here's, here's a tip, a free yeah. tip. Yeah. I decided to always start upping my age a little bit and that got me really comfortable when I did because, you know, you get really nervous, 37, 38, 39. Fuck, yeah. I don't want to be 40, 47, 48, 49. Yeah. Fuck, I don't want to be 50. So I started saying in my late 40s, oh, I'm 50-ish. Yeah. And then, you know, when I was 52, I'd say I'm mid-50s. Yeah. And no. now when people ask me, I often say, oh, I'm 60s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, you look so young for your age. You look so young. Well, you look so young because you're joining us from Bali and you spend uh, the majority of your days there at the moment, which I think is just absolutely glorious and we'll all be very envious, particularly those of us in Melbourne. Now, normally, as you know, I take you right back to your teen years. If we've got time, I'll do that. But what I wanted to do, if you don't mind, is with your marriage and your divorce. So what age were you married and what age did you get divorced? Yeah. Got together with my wife, who was also a medical student, um, when we were about 23. I was repeating third year medicine. She was in the year alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we probably moved in together after a couple of years. I reckon we lived together about five years and then we were married for 13 years. And so we were together all, all together 20 years and got divorced. Um, I, I do it on my son's age. I know he was 11 when we separated and he's 25 now. So about 14 years ago, it must be 10, 14 years, something like that. Okay. So you would have been divorced in your mid 40s. All early 40s, yeah. Okay. And what was that like? Well, (laughs) it's hard work. Um, So the divorce, focusing on the divorce, you mean, what was the divorce like? Like what was it like? You know, a lot of listeners are in that position. So what was it like to be, you know, a middle-aged man who thought it was forever, presumably, or you wouldn't have got married, to find yourself divorced in middle age with an 11-year-old son? Yes, I, I don't know that I did think it was forever, to be honest. But um, yeah, that's a separate. So did you say, tell me about that? Sorry, or did you say, um, yeah? I, I never thought that I'd be a forever person. I, I, I'm, I, I feel I change too much from every five years to five years. And so when we got married, did I think it'd be forever? I don't look. You know, God, if, a, if my ex-wife's called Anita, if Anita's <laughs> listening. <laughs> Die, but I don't know that I did think it was forever. Um, I'm not sure. And certainly after about 10 years of being, after we've been married probably five years, I was pretty sure that it wasn't working. Right. Um, and I was pretty sure, though, that we needed to stay married at least till um, our son was a certain age. And also I was too scared to get divorced. But mm. I was mentally preparing. I well, did mentally think through how I'd want to handle it, what would want to happen. I um, And then even... and and. You know, even before we got divorced, I don't think my marriage was terrible. I thought our marriage was pretty good. It was okay, but it just wasn't everything I wanted it to be. And, uh, but I got to a point where I thought, "Mm, I'm definitely, something bad's going to happen. 
I'm going to have an affair. Something bad's going to happen that I'm never going to be able, that I'm going to feel ashamed of for a long time. Yeah. So I decided it, I needed to rip the Band-Aid off. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty sure it was going to be a hard time ripping the Band-Aid off for everyone, myself um, and everyone involved and uh, families and everyone and everyone, you know, we we're, were a couple that everyone loved. You know, I mean, all our families, you know, I think, you know, I shouldn't say this, speak for other people, but I think my um, wife's part, family loved me. I know my family loved my wife. Um, mm-hmm. I was worried about my son. So I knew it was going to be really hard. And I, and it was, you know, it was even though we were well prepared, thought mm-hmm. it through, yeah. spoke, you know, very calmly and clearly. To see a counselor, we saw a counselor for six months. Um, you know, going which was really we went to the counselor, and very quickly I said, you know, in one of the early sessions, I I actually don't think we're going to get back together. Mm -hmm. And I think the purpose of counseling is actually to separate as um, as well as possible with our number one priority is of having a minimum impact on our son. And in fact, we chose a counselor with lots of expertise in um, child psychology, and so uh. So we did it all that, you know, and zero arguing in terms of, you know, I said, I'm not getting a lawyer. I know people would argue with that, but I'd done a shitload of reading. So I knew what the law said. So it wasn't like I was saying, I'm not getting a lawyer in some, you know, great act of um, magnanimity. I don't even know to my my partner, but I decided, I don't know. I sort of pretty much knew the law and decided the more I can basically show that I'm not going to be difficult or aggressive, the better it will go. So did all those things and I've lost my train of thought. But, you know, so even having thought through it, planned it, doing everything, it was still, you know, really, you know, the first year in particular, you know, oh, God, it was, it was very oh, it was yeah. terrible. Yes, it terrible. well, I mean, no two ways about it. As you well know, um, you are one of the friends that I rang when I was deciding and going through it. And I remember you saying that, and that actually was very comforting to me in a way, because I think our situations were quite similar in that there was no big catastrophic event. You know, it's not like I woke up and when I hate you now, or you're a terrible person, or you cheated or whatever. Um, but there is no way to end a relationship that long that doesn't cause pain. And yeah. you just got to sit in that shit for a while and yeah. cover at different rates. Can I pick up on something you said, which is that you were scared to do it, which makes sense to me, but I'm interested in why were you scared? Because you don't strike me as someone who's scared of loneliness. I'm guessing you were scared of hurting other people. Yeah, hundred percent. Very, you know. Number one, obviously, my wife and my son. You yeah. know, I was very, you know, I knew the families and everything would be mm. hurt and upset, and some of our really close friends yeah. would be hurt and upset too. Um, but uh, I, I knew they'd all get over it. Um, I was more worried about, you know, the impact on our son and and my wife. You know, she'd um, she'd very dedicated to her work. Yep. And uh, I was a little bit concerned that she didn't have enough supports. And I spoke to her a lot about that, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, we first did it. And, you know, you've got to ring uh, your friends. Yeah. I can't be your support through this. No. And, you know, oh, I can't be one you ring. Oh, yeah, I can't it. be. Yeah, so, so many people make that mistake. And your instincts to do it because you've spent every day with that person. And if mm. you still love that person on some level, even if it's platonic love or it's familial kind of love or something, you want to be there for them, but you're not the right person. 
Absolutely not. Either a therapist, friends, combination of both. Yeah, and it's an even bigger trap when you shrink because, you know, you get up all the time when people have emotional problems. And and with that even thinking, I flick into shrink mode. Okay, you've got to do this, this, this. You've got to speak to that. And, you know, I had to keep saying, I can't be it. And uh, strongly I had to encourage her, you know, you have to make contact with, you know, your best friends. I haven't spoken to them for five years. Doesn't matter. You've no. got to ring them. And she was really, you know, it worked out beautifully. She rang her best friend from school. She'd seen on and off, but really had lost contact over the five mm. years. And her best friend from school just, bang, clicked straight into action. And they, they went back to being best mates and catching up for coffee, you know, almost daily. And and then, and then of course, she extended and, you know, of course, did all the sensible things that a mature adult does and, well, you know, and- started the truth is, Steve, and, you know, people listening, I think we need to remember this, especially when we are sitting in the shit, most people actually really love to help in a crisis. So mm-hmm. do reach out, do ask. There'll be some who don't step up and that's okay. Like keep trying, you know, keep up. It might be that friend that you haven't spoken to for five years who's really good at this shit. There might be another yep. friend you see all the time is not good with big feelings. Like keep going mm-hmm. until you find the the support can you tell me now that you're, I can't even do the math, but you're a long time um, divorced now, what, 15 years, say? How yeah, are your son and how is your ex-wife? Because they are the fears. Oh, yes. So my ex-wife's as good as gold. She's remarried probably, oh, God, at least five years now to yeah. someone who's way more suited to than me and uh our son's as good as gold you know we spent a lot of time making sure you know we and also you know to a t she was fantastic i never thought our problems spilled over any more than they absolutely had to of course they spilled over we had to sit on the couch and tell him that we were separating i couldn't speak i was crying so much and she did it beautifully um and so um so and he's as good as gold you know he's got a job although he's he's going the last, the last two, he had, he said, oh God, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking through. One of the things I love about your podcast is how honest everyone is. You've got this knack of making people feel safe and saying stuff. Anyway, my son just broke up with his seven-year girlfriend. He had the same girlfriend since he was 17. Oh, um, he's 25. Yeah. So seven years, whatever That's that is. Hard. Yeah. So yes, but he's as good as gold, but now he's going through his mm. breakup. So you yeah. end up, at, you know, footloose and fancy free in your 40s. Did yep. the thought of dating again scare you, excite you, a mix of both? Like how did you approach that? <laughs> what, what, bull in a china shop? Um, <laughs> My impression is that you had quite the time. Uh, I felt that I lacked a little bit of dating experience in adolescence. I was shy. I was, you know, um, I hadn't had, I'd been to a boys' school. I hadn't yeah. had, you know, I went to Melbourne High in Melbourne, all boys. I hadn't yeah. spoken to a girl till uni. I was very shy. And, you know, so I didn't, I didn't do nothing like Tinder or mucking around. You yeah. know, I um, just had relationships and only about three or four and maybe two or three flings before I met a name. And, um, you know, so um, I felt I, I, I'm basically trying to say, I deserved it. Don't yeah. question me. Yeah, no, I very much. Actually, can we like sit in that for a minute? Because that is also true. Like, again, you would know the amount of listeners, I get a lot of letters about this as well, particularly people who married young, but not even, like people Mm. who might have been, you know, whatever we call late bloomers. You know what? You do bloody deserve it. You you should have that period in your life 
where you go, I'm just going to explore some things and I'm going to go on some dates. It doesn't matter if it leads to a lifelong relationship. You're allowed to have fun. You're not dead because you're middle-aged. Oh, entirely agree. Um, yeah, and I had zero qualms. I didn't feel guilty at all. Um, right. But I was doing it right, you know, like I was being completely yeah. honest with people. I was saying, look, I'm not in the spot for the moment for a long-term relationship, but I wouldn't rule it out. But it's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, to um, meet people, have fun, have dates. And, you know, I wasn't super obsessed with sex. You know, I, more than happy if it worked out, but in actual yeah. fact, I wasn't super obsessed. Yeah. And so... Um, it was more for me just meeting people. Although I must admit, I did go out, you know, a few relationships. You know, I did, I did, I, I wanted to try the menu. You know, I didn't, I, didn't, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have the entrees, the main courses, the desserts. Yes, I had yes. flings, you know. Yeah, yeah, my first relationship, I remember the girl was just so, the woman was just so sexy, it wasn't funny. And you know, I just almost had to pinch myself thinking, oh my God. Because I didn't even, the other thing too is when I was young, I'd never, cons- well, how do I put this without sounding like a winner? You didn't think you were hot. I didn't think I was hot at all when I was young. Then all of a sudden when I'm 45 and I've got a career behind me huh. and and I actually, when I was young, I looked like a baby. So up until the age of 30, <laughs> I got asked for ID in pubs. Wow. So I looked like a baby. I wasn't, you know, women didn't th- chase after me. All yeah. of a sudden, I'm in my 40s. I look like I'm in my 30s. I'm yeah. I got a career behind me and I quickly learned to put that I'm a doctor on Tinder, you know, oh. um, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 this, uh, it was just a total, not awakening, that's the wrong word. It was a surprise. Blossoming. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, you know, yeah. it was really good fun. Yeah. Look, yeah. I can tell you, and there will be women screaming at the podcast as they listen right now. If you go on Tinder and there's a middle-aged heterosexual male who's nice and a doctor, I mean, like, you're the unicorn of the dating world. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many straight women going, I want a single dad. I want someone who's secure. I want someone who's respectful. Like, these are this is the baseline that you learn to expect as you get older and to kind of go, not that you have to be a doctor, but do you know what I mean? Like, someone who kind of knows who they are, who's established, all the rest of it. I am sure you were quite popular, young Steve. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was a, it, it, yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. And uh, so, uh, yeah, but I, I must admit I got, well, I was going to say I got sick of it very quick. It actually took five, about five because I didn't want to be in a stable relationship really. And for the yeah. first two years in particular, it was all about our son and just yeah. getting through it and stuff. And then after that, I was sort of, look, you know, look, I wasn't not looking for a long-term relationship, but I wasn't actively looking. I'm oh. just trying to think when I fell in. Actually, 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 now that I think that I fell into a fairly stable relationship after about 18 months, I think. I can't remember the dates, but, yeah, yeah. so it was relatively soon that I fell into a stable relationship. Well, but, and that can happen. I mean, it doesn't mean I think saying you're, you know, not looking for a long-term relationship but you're open is exactly what you've described. Like it yeah. might happen, but, you know, when let's be honest, if when you've been through divorce, um jaded's not the right word but you're certainly suspect you know like you're not sort of sitting you're not going in with rose-colored glasses thinking just because I like someone this is forever like certainly at the beginning I think you hold a little bit back and I think that's actually quite healthy rather than just like rushing into your next thing um you know that seems very sensible to me now let's flash forward you're now with a lovely woman and you met online Yep. 
which I think, again, is lovely. You know, I personally loved online dating. A lot of people listening hate it. I loved it. You met her online. You've been together now for, what, three years? Four, just coming up to four. Coming up to four years. And do you mind, because your meeting story is one of the most interesting I've ever heard, can you retell that for me? Well, the, I think I know you're referring to our first date, I think. So because yes. we met online, we were both actually, I don't normally tell this bit. I sometimes edit this bit out, but who gives a shit? Um, we were both in relationships. I was in a relationship that wasn't working yeah. and uh, I was breaking up. I'd, we'd, I'd broken up multiple times in the last six months and we we're basically in a phase where we were together but we weren't really together. We were really just being mates who were hanging out together until we each found someone else. And we were yeah. both um, knew that we were looking and we're open about it, But uh, and we both had a deal that as soon as we find someone, we'll let the other know. So um, you're at this point, just for context, you're, what, 56, 55, oh, yeah, like 50-something, yeah. and yeah. You're, you know it's not working. You're having trouble letting go by the sounds of it, both of you, but you know everything's on the table. Yeah, and and um, my partner. I suppose we can use her name. She's going to listen to the podcast. Peter <laughs> um, was pretty pretty much in an identical situation as it turned okay. out, um, yeah. and her partner was living overseas. Except that and, she also had three little kids. Yeah, she had three kids, yeah. and we and we um, met online, and we really just had one. I was just leaving Bali. Yeah. She was on holidays in Bali. She yeah. didn't live there. She was on, She lives here now, but didn't then. She lived. She's Indonesian, but she lived in Java, yeah. and she was on holidays in Bali, I think. And anyway, we chatted over WhatsApp video chat or whatever it was back then. It was what's yeah, it was WhatsApp, and um, I just thought she was unbelievably gorgeous, unbelievably mm. gorgeous, and she really disarmed me early on with her, um, you know, just her conversation. I, you know, I, it was really something quite, you know, I was really quite shocked how much um, we clicked. You were smitten. Yes. And uh, and I was, on, I was just leaving Bali on my way to a conference in, in Italy. God, I'm just sounding... <laughs> kill me now. Um, Can I just remind everyone listening as well, because, again, I can't tell you how many letters and... and voicemails and stuff that we get with people kind of going, oh, well, you know, I'm 47, it's too late to start again, or I'm done. You were 55, oh, right? Yeah. You're 55 years old. It is not too late. Oh, I see people starting in their 70s and 80s, you know, all Same. the time. Same. Yeah, especially over here in Bali because there's a lot yes. of people that retire over here. Um, yeah. and anyway, so um, we, like, pretty much chatted every day for about, I don't know, a month, and then I changed my plans. I was on a long holiday. Um, you know, I was contemplating retiring even back then, and I'm retired now. Um, and uh, I changed, and she was going back to Bali to fly to meet her boyfriend overseas. Yeah. And so I came, we ca so I flew back early to catch her before she left just to meet for, we just had like a, just a, a little window, the most 20, 48 hours, maybe less. Um, well, that's and, a bit and, romantic, Steve. So were yeah. you consciously going, I better see her before she sees this other bloke? Yeah. No, no, I wasn't actually thinking strategically. I was more thinking it was a window of opportunity to see her. Otherwise, she would then go to Italy and then go back to where she lived in Java. And mm. it would be hard for me to see her. She lived in a very Muslim town in Java. 
Okay. Um, but they don't even allow, you know, virtually no alcohol. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, they're not going to allow Steve. Yeah. yeah. What would I do there at five <laughs> o'clock at night? Um, and uh, anyway, so I whizzed across. But I was also, you know, we'd been speaking almost every day, but she'd planned this holiday for ages. Um, you know, it had been planned for about six months, you know, to get a visa for an Indonesian person to Europe. It's a six month process. You, yeah, it's not yeah. like Australians where you fly over there and they give it to you as you arrive. You know, yeah. you have to apply and prove you've got an income and prove you're linked to Indonesia and all this bullshit. And uh, so um, so she couldn't not go on the holiday. Anyway, I came back and I, are you talking about, you know, our first date was the weirdest first date ever. And I sent in a speak pipe to your um, last podcast about it because it involved HIV testing. It <laughs> is one of the best story, like you, your first date involved, and I'm going to bring us to um, STIs actually, but your first date involved a discussion. And I think Vita has given permission for you to talk about this publicly or you want to done it yes. on another podcast. Um, involved, she was frightened that she may have been exposed to HIV. Very much so. So, you know, she, uh, without going into the details of her previous her marriage, she was convinced and had been for a long time that she had HIV. Very mm. convinced, completely convinced. And, um, of course, we'd been talking every day online and, you know, for about a month by the time I went back to Bali and she'd told me after a while that she was convinced that she was very sick and, you know, she and she was very, very thin. Um, and she was convinced that it was due to HIV and uh, it turned out to be something else. But um, she was convinced and I was pretty convinced she wasn't, you know, not only because I'd worked in HIV for 15 years and I didn't, you can't tell by looking, obviously, but I knew that the risk in the area where she was in Java was very low. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that there was bugger all HIV where she was from. And of course, I knew that many, 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 many women are worried about HIV and some, you know, very sensibly, but mostly the risks are incredibly low. And so I was convinced that she should at least have a test because she'd spent years worrying about it, scared to have a test. And so our first date was basically the test. I organized it in advance, did some research, found a good clinic, had it booked in a particular time she came to my hotel to meet me i'd flown in at night we met at eight in the morning we went out and had coffee the hiv test was at 10 it was at a really good place and they fast tracked it had results by the afternoon um and uh, and lived happily ever after and then had a lovely date and for yeah. people listening who think that they've had a weird first date i see you and i raise you one right <laughs> But it also does, to me, it speaks volumes about your character. It really does because a lot of people would run as fast as they could from that situation and you have now been in a relationship and in love with this wonderful woman for four years and if you'd done that, you wouldn't be stout on her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we've, we've been very lucky. Yeah. Best to both of you. Now, can I move you to, and I'm dropping this in, Steve, so I hope you don't mind. Um, okay. In our culture share section, I want to talk to you about a TV show. It doesn't matter if you've seen it or not. It's a new show, I think it's new, on Stan called Work in Progress, and it's tangentially related to this. So it's about a 45-year-old woman. She hasn't dated, in fact, she hasn't had sex for seven or eight years. And she finds herself in a relationship. Long story short, she has to disclose that she has herpes, right? So she has herpes. She doesn't know what to do. And in the end, which is a, it's a very funny show, she just blurts out, look, I need to tell you something. I've got herpes. And it's one of the only times I've worked in health promotion for a long time. You worked actually in infectious diseases. 
It's the only time I can remember seeing it appropriately handled. The other person basically said, well, if you've been shamed about that before, they were ignorant and they were wrong. And I know that you can test. I know you can treat. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And they went on the date. And I was yeah. cheering at the screen. Yes. When you see it handled well, you know, it's so nice. I haven't seen the show. I've seen an ad for it. I will watch it. But, yeah. um, but I haven't got around to it yet because you have to cheat when I watch Stan and, you know, go through my VPN. To yes, yes, barley. But as someone, so you've worked in infectious diseases for, you know, decades. Yeah. We are so immature in Australia about STIs. Like I think we've still got this like hangover that only, like to be frank, I'm sorry for the language, but only sluts get STIs or only people that sleep around get STIs or that they're somehow uncommon. They're incredibly common and you can get them from sex once. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, we are. We're very shy about it. Not as shy as some cultures. I, yeah. You know, I, I, I think we're not too bad in Australia. I'm maybe biased okay. having worked in the field. Um, but, yeah, we are. And people are, you know, very ashamed about it. And there's so there's so much stigma attached to all of it. Mm. Um, but I think HIV really, you know, brought most of this stuff into the open a lot more and a lot of the stigma got reduced through HIV and through in particular the consumer movement, you know, people mm. with HIV standing up and being so proud and, about, and you know, um, insisting that they were treated with respect by health services and governments and everyone else. And so I think we've made a lot of progress, but I agree entirely. We don't talk about them. People don't get tested. But, yeah, it, but it's improved. So, you know, there are free clinics all over Australia now. All Name over- the town. You could, yeah. yeah. And if you are in the dating pool, um, you are probably going to come across someone with an STI, whether they know it or not. And we need to just get into that mindset of test and treat, test and treat. Don't write someone off. If someone discloses to you that they have an STI, I personally go, well, I'm, you know, that this is an honest person. You know, yeah. like I know what I'm dealing with. Now we can do risk mitigation, all of that kind of stuff. Like let's be grown up about Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And reasonable because any of us could have one. And I think the other thing people don't realise is is the how fantastic risk mitigation is now. Yes. You can have unprotected sex with someone with HIV now yeah. and be virtually zero chance of catching it as long as they've done all the risk mitigation. They're on the appropriate treatment, they're having their viral load tested and et cetera. You can have unprotected sex. Herpes, you can go on treatment now that you know decrease the chances dramatically. And I'm not saying you should have unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. I think protected sex is the way to go. Yes. I'm just using Using it as an example, you if you are aware of the issues, mm. you're incredibly you know, awareness is probably as good as condoms these days. Well, you know, use both and double your chances. Um, all right. So I love a meme. I'm gonna put one to you. This is uh at Katie Hannon on Instagram. And I wanted your take on this as a good, you know, working class boy come good. Uh, she says, as a therapist, I can say confidently that while therapy is helpful. What most people really need is money. How does that hit you? Um, well, my first 
comment is well yes yeah. <laughs> you know uh there's a hell of there's a you know, hell of a lot of truth in that and yeah. there's a lot of research to back it up unfortunately you know yeah. um, you know your money solves a lot of problems up to a certain amount and over a certain yes. amount of the law of diminishing returns and yeah. it doesn't solve everything but the only thing i would add is yes but you could also say the same for good friends good yeah. family um yeah. Uh, a job, you know, a job that you feel valued in and you feel you can has a sense of meaning, you know, the, those things too. So it's not just money, you know, but um, yeah, you don't, you know, you don't tend to go to therapy if everything's going, going well in your life. It doesn't mean that you can have shit relationships and things that you haven't resolved from your past and, you know, yeah. still, but yeah, money, money's a good mitigator. What I like about it, Steve, is that I think in this space, especially in the divorce and dating relationship space, quite frankly, there's a lot of sh bullshit, um, unresearched, unverifiable wellness crap that is actually masquerading. Uh, what it really is, is this sort of rampant individualism. You know, if you do enough therapy, if you do self-talk, if you read enough self-help books, you'll feel better. And you've got people sitting there going, well, I've, I'm in a casual job and I can't buy a house and I don't know how to pay my kids' school fees or whatever it is. I can't afford decent food, whatever it is. And yet we put these responsibilities back onto individuals rather than looking at systems and culture if you're in a culture that shames you for getting divorced, you're going to feel like shit regardless of how much individual work you do on yourself. So that's what I like about it. It seems like a little bit of an intervention into that sort of um, moment we're having in the ether, you know, where we go, just just do the work. You know, I did the work. I did the work. Yeah, well, yeah, not everyone can do the work for a start, but there's other factors in your life that are going to be protective. This one's from Madalena.poetry. She says, once you become a certain age, it is your responsibility to unlearn behaviours that hinder your growth as a person. What do you think about that? Yes, I agree, but it's not as easy as the as it sounds. You know, long-term habits are incredibly hard to break. And, you know, and you've got to go through this phase of recognising what the habit, what the behaviours are first, which maybe takes, what, 10 years to recognise you've got Please. something that's... Yeah, and then you've got to try and tease out exactly what it is. So you've got to try and describe it. Then you've got to spend some time thinking why. Then you've got to try and plan a change. You know, you've got to change it. And of course, when you try and change habits, they don't change overnight. It's normally, you know, they keep biting at your heels for five years. You know, you've got to be vigilant. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, look, yes, I agree. But uh, sometimes people make it sound e easy. Well, they really you know, do. it's not. I think in the dating context, if I can bring it into that, my very firm view the, at this age, which is a very different view than I used to have, is that you've got to take people how they are today. So if someone, for example, in this dating context, if someone's not a good communicator, um, you need to decide, do I have the patience and the time and energy and will to work with them on that? Or do I accept that they're not ever going to be a good communicator or not on my timeline and get out? Yeah, you know, Vita said to me the other day, we we're having one of our regular arguments about something or other. <laughs> I'm sure and, you uh, And I was explaining to her why she should change. And she was explaining <laughs> to me why I should change. <laughs> and, and we got angry, we didn't speak. And then she came back to me later that night and said, look, at the end of the day, I don't think either is going to change. And what yeah. you have to decide is, can you suck it up? When yeah. I get into this mood, 
I'm going to be like this for a day, maybe two, maybe three. And, you know, you've just got to suck it up because I'm not going to change. I've, I, I, I wish I could, but I can't. I'm not going to change. You just have to suck it up and stop being such a big baby. It's not such a big deal, you know, so I don't talk to you for 36 hours, you know, suck it up. It's such a fine line, Steve, isn't it? Because yeah. on the other hand, what I see from this meme is sort of going, there's a point at which you go, it's not always everyone else, right? If you're in a dating situation and you're constantly being um, broken up with after a month or you're being told repeatedly that the way you speak is disrespectful or you're being told that your behaviour is hurting people or whatever, like grow up, face that shit, get some help and change it or don't date. But I'd also add it is never just about one person. It's always, you know, I was taught this. If re, I still remember this psychiatrist, my, one of my first supervisors, you know, someone complained about me and they totally misread the situation and I hadn't done anything wrong. And I said to my boss, look, I, you know, she's saying, let's go through what happened and let's ex- analyze what you did and what you could have done differently. And I said, but I actually don't think, I honestly don't think I've done anything wrong. They've totally misinterpreted. The stuff they're going about mad about wasn't me. They're mixing it up. It was in an emergency department. They were confusing some stuff. And she said, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe so, but it's not the point. There's always things you could have done differently. There's it always there's always something. Now we shy away from that a lot these days in, yeah, in a whole lot of ways. We shy away from it. And of course, sometimes your role is only 1%. But my yep. point being, if you can't figure out anything that you contributed to a situation, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I'm, because the, the problem with this, that statement is it it bleeds into victim blaming. And that's where the problem lies. And that's not what I'm trying to do. All I'm trying to say is when you're thinking about any repetitive behavior that happens in your life, mm-hmm. um, you've got to think of it both ways. Some self-reflection is absolutely critical, especially in the dating space and especially like lots of listeners, if you've been out of the game for a long time, like you really do need some self-reflection. I mean, the classic thing we talk about is if you're doing online dating, I'm sorry, you're going to get dropped, right? Someone's going to break up with you. Someone's going to reject you. Someone's going to ghost you, whatever. If you sit in that being about you, you will not survive online dating, right? At the same time, if it's happening repeatedly, you maybe want to reflect on are there behaviours that you're doing that are promoting or encouraging that? Like it's somewhere in the middle. Oh, you know, I really wanted to, when I first, you know, I loved online dating so much, just dating in general, you know, yeah. the fact that it was online just made it easier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so much easier to go online than to go up to someone in a pub with 30 yes. other people in the pub looking at you. You can I'm sit great. in the privacy of your own. It's a million times better once yeah. you get the hang of it. And it takes a while to get the hang. And I loved it. But I so wish that there was some sort of anonymous review process whereby <laughs> someone just like a Google review could say, Steve was really good, but he talked about himself a lot and he talked yes. too fast and um and uh you know he was a little bit this and he was a little bit that and i could go oh, okay no fifth, five, 15 people in a row have said it okay oh exactly this is what i'm saying like okay yes rejection you know is part of the game but if you've been rejected 15 times in a row and five of those people have said you talked at me and didn't listen maybe mm. take that on board is what i'm saying and, I, and also i met so many people who were 
would tell me that they were having problems and I could see a mile off why they were having problems. Oh, they were sad. just going in with all of these expectations, yeah. you know, and it was the first date and they're asking me, you know, what's your five-year plan and um, yes. what do you want to name our children? And it's yes. just, whoa, yes. oh my God. And then you'd say afterwards, look, you know, you're a really nice person, but it, you yeah. know, I just don't think we clicked, you know, standard bullshit line. Um, whereas what I really wanted to say was you, it was too much. Too that, much. You know, All right, I'm going to put a couple of calls to you. I just wanted to just make a quick comment on um, <clears throat> your episode that you had with Scott Brennan um, when you were talking about uh, men's dating profiles, um, and that is bang on about the fish. I think I agree with it, that they don't have any pictures. And um, I just want to say that when I broke up with my ex-husband, it was quite amicable, but I actually helped him set up his Tinder profile because he didn't have any good pictures or if he did, it was with our daughter and things like that. So I actually sent him quite a lot of pictures that I'd taken of him um, for his dating profile. And well, you know, he's now been with this woman for almost three years. So I like to say, I like to tell people that, you know, that I helped him set up his Tinder profile, <laughs> but I did. But so, yes, I definitely think that single men should ask their um, single friend or their girlfriends, their friends, their ex-wives to help set up their profile because they really don't have any selfies of themselves. Any, that's all I wanted to say. Steve Allen, I couldn't love this more. What do you think? Well, I think it's sweet, but I've got to tell you, I think to myself, <laughs> nah. Throw nah. the fuck up and make your own profile. It's a it's an extension of that previous thing that you can't. I can't be your support once we've divorced. I can't be your um your what's the you know what's it called in the Jewish culture when someone that organises the dating. You know, there's a name oh, for the woman. Like the matchmaker, but there's yeah, the matchmaker equivalent's yeah. got some name. Yeah. And uh, you can't be that for your ex. Although it's sweet. Look, if you're ten years separate. Yeah. divorced and you're totally in a place of friendship and you're yeah. having a wine together and she says let me pick out the good selfies for you 100 yes. get it but my fear of that one is that you know she still loves her ex-husband and you know she wants to be the perfect ex-wife as well as you know and everything and and you know to just i just scared that you know she goes home and cries afterwards um so i so that's a little bit of a you know a pink flag maybe not a red flag but i'd be toey about that I think it's interesting because I was the same. Like I love it and I can, you know, I have a very amicable relationship with my ex as well, but I think I would draw the line at doing that. Um, I think it is there's a risk that you're in a sort of mothering role even. Yeah. That's my job, you know. Having said that, I love her advice. Let's go one removed from an ex. I love her advice to go to straight female friends if you're having trouble, if you're not getting any traction, at the very least, ask them to help you with photos and or your profile or get them to look at your profile and go, is there something I'm not seeing here? Like, is there something in this that's putting people off? Oh, Nelly, can I tell you, I mean, I think it took me two years to get good at it. And in that process, I, yes. would, have read, I would have read 50 articles about how to write a profile. Oh, my God, look at your research. Yeah, yeah, I'm a researcher from way Love. back. I, I got my sister to pick the photos and look right. at it too. Um, I asked other people and they all picked totally different photos that I picked. Same, the same. The pictures I picked, they all said, oh, no. I, oh, I picked no. one, to be completely honest, and this is, you know, revealing, but I think it's important to do that because I asked my guests to do it. I realised I'd picked ones where I looked slim. 
or something. You know what I mean? And they weren't my best photos and they didn't reflect my personality. And what you want to do is give people a flavour of who you are, not what you looked like 10 kilos ago. Yeah, I, I did exactly the same. And I'd say, I remember saying to my sister, I look fat in that one. She says, yeah, but look, you look so happy. You You're look smiling. happy. And yeah. that's what you want. You're drawn to, to vibrancy. Mm. Right? Anybody is. So what when you started your profile, what was shit about it and then what made it good? So early on, I think I was just trying to boast um, instead of talking <laughs> about... Um, you know, talking about things that I liked and stuff yeah. and uh, yeah, bad photos. So in the end I had, you know, like the, you know, by the end, you know, I had a close-up photo, a photo yeah. standing at a distance, look yeah. all looking happy and relaxed and friendly um, and uh, not too many photos, you know, three or four yes. max. And yep. then a profile that was, I, I like Tinder is my favourite. I know other people yep. like others. And yep. so Tinder, I love Tinder and I liked um, just four, four or five lines. That's yep. all, not too long. They don't, they don't want to read an essay. You know, yep. hi, I'm Steve. I, you know, I initially didn't say I was a doctor because I thought it was wanking, but um, it tripled, you know, saying, you know, that we, of course, so, you know, lie and say you're a doctor. No, I'm not. Um, so, and I'll tell you something else I did that was very controversial. Oh, very controversial. Um, but yeah, so I had fewer four lines saying what I liked. I like this, I like that, nothing too much, um, yes. and not too boasty. And, uh, you know, just, you know, I really like going out and chatting to people, finding out about, you know, what your interests are, what your life is. You know, like everyone else, I like travel and sport and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I'm up for anything sort of thing, you know, um, but I, you know, like to get to know people first. And so that was, but the thing I did that I, I no, that no one will be happy to hear is I lied about my age for a little while. Um, so, and this was my thinking. I'll tell you my thinking. So I realized when I turned about 51 that yeah. no one, when I turned 50, no one, my number of matches fell through the floor. And I realized that a lot of people were obviously just sitting there age range you know, particular things i think it happened when i was i can't remember you know but it was just obvious to me it fell off so i thought oh fuck it, i'm going to take two years off because yeah. a lot of people aren't matching me and i'll tell people yeah. when i meet and um so i did um so i took it off um went back to getting heaps more matches and yeah. then when i met people i said oh look by the way i lied about my age i'm actually two years older and um and, and what did i say well, most would initially say, I think that's outrageous. You know, you, you can't lie about these things. And I say, well, the reason I lie is because I think people, you know, people are judgmental about age. And uh, but that's why I'm telling you now. And if you're uncomfortable with it, I'm super. I think I'd often text them, too. But I did remember one person who I'd gone out with about three times. Before I got around to telling her and she got really mad at me quite, wow. quite fairly. She got mad and I said, look, I'm really sorry, but, you know, I, I do it um, for a, a reasons. Um, and I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I, you know, and in, anyway, um, she got really mad. Then she rang up a couple of days later and said, look, um, I'm, I think I was being a bit judgmental um, about it. You know, everyone tells lies. It's a white lie. You're honest about it quick. No big deal. Um, but that was about my worst reaction. She got mad. And I must admit, I also took the attitude that if someone can't handle a white lie, they're probably not my cup of tea. <laughs> Get used to it, ladies. Well, I just think white lying's normal, you know, and those yeah. people who go through life saying, I'm never anything but 100% honest. Yeah, get yeah. it's bullshit. Um, we all tell white lies and and this and our society's super ageist, so I just decided to tell a white lie to get, you know, once you got, I got well, once I got to a certain age, it sort of didn't matter, but, you know, you have to once you're about, I think once I was 52, I decided I couldn't do it anymore because then it was yeah. getting too big. Yeah, yeah, but I did lie. I lied. Hey, girls. 
I've just recently was introduced to your podcast and I'm loving it. I have been separated for 10 years, just about to the day. And last week finally got divorced just because we never got around to do that. Actually, my ex, my ex, when I um, rang him from the court said, saying, just come down, let's do it now. I said, are you sure we didn't do this already? Anyway, I was listening to your podcast the other day and um, a few times you mentioned people kind of feeling sorry for you for getting divorced and stuff. And it really reminded me when I was telling people I was separating, I had to try really hard not to have this massive grin because every time I was saying this, this big wide smile came off because I was so fucking happy. Um, and then I remember a few weeks into our fin- you know, finally separated, I've got the house that I wanted to be in, the area my kids wanted to be in. And uh, the kids went for the, one of their first visits with their dad. I was doing dishes and I was going to go for a beautiful walk with a really good girlfriend. And I thought, I used to think that people that are divorced have the best of both worlds. They have um, time as a family and they have time as a single parent. As, as a single, sorry, as a single human, just as a human. And I was right. And I did a little dance in the kitchen. I was like, yeah, fuck, this is awesome. So I know it's not always awesome. I've had a lot of. All right. So obviously the, the speak pipe cut out at the end. But speaking of countercultural, Steve, this is a middle-aged divorced person saying divorce is great. What do you reckon? Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, when, when, you know, like all the challenges of getting out of a marriage that we yeah. talked about earlier, um, without diminishing those challenges, hmm. I remember, you know, one of the early memories I have too is going into the first flat I hired, down, you know, I rented down the road and closing that door sometimes at night and just oh, the just sense of being by myself and there was a comedian around at the time who had this line it was on one of the netflix shows or something i don't know whatever the equivalent was back then um and it was you know he would he looked at the audience and say um you know you married people one thing you need to know you know a lot of you are thinking sitting there thinking you've got the best marriage in the world it's wonderful everything about it's perfect but let me tell you no matter how good it is it's not as good as divorce you know (laughs) know, there's just so much truth people don't realize you know there's so much culture that tells us that the ideal thing is a long marriage a long relationship and the longer it is the better you know i mean i I know you've mentioned this many times on the podcast this one the last one everything you know comes up but you know this sense that you know someone's oh having their 30 year anniversary you know and all this congratulations you know yeah that's good on you but you know it's no better than oh you're on your 10th relationship you lucky thing you've experienced Oh my God, you've yeah. been divorced and you're a bit of an introvert and you love your own company and you've been separated for 10 years. Oh my God, let's have a party. To, you know, there's no, you know, these milestones are bullshit. You know, I mean, it's the, it's all about quality. It's not number quality. years. Quality, exactly right. And, you know, I really can relate to what she's saying and it feels taboo to say it. You know, I remember the first, initially I had just Friday nights to myself without the kids. And I remember the first three or four, if I'm perfectly honest, I was so devastated. Like that's the time when I reckon friends need to sweep in and say, I'll come and stay with you or whatever. Like I cried and cried and cried. I hadn't been in a house on my own for 20 years, all the rest of it. Once I got used to it, there was a moment I remember going, I've got the night to myself. Mm. Like I literally, it's like I was rattling around in the house. I didn't know what to do. You know, like I didn't know what to do with the time. 
but I had that sense of of autonomy is the only way I can put it. If I want to lay in bed and watch bloody Netflix, I can. If I want to go out to the pub on my own or with friends, I can. Whatever it is, like the just that sense of joy, but the only other people you can tell that's other divorced people. <laughs> you know the other thing, I mean, you probably didn't get this because I think you did the vast, you've done the vast majority of the, you know, having the kids, but we did the straight, we started week around, we ended up being 50-50 on two weeks, you know, yeah. that took about 18 months to get to, we, yeah. before we went, you know, we did a few days, a few days, that was terrible, week, a week, week, then we settled on two weeks, and I used to be in this real routine for years where I'd notice, you know, towards the end of the two weeks where I didn't have my son, yeah. I was missing him terribly and very, um, a bit bored and then he'd come and the first two or three days I just loved every second he was back with me even though you know I made sure I rented a house near the school so I still saw him most days when he wasn't with me you know he'd drop in after school for a you know drink on his way home or I'd pick him up or I'd go to sport etc so it wasn't like I hadn't seen him but I loved the first three days with him by the last three days with him I was sick of washing sick of cooking sick of cleaning and you got to wash clothes you know it's being a single parent even with only one kid's a lot of work to do you're taking them everywhere and then you know the first three or four days when he wasn't with me oh just the peace and quiet and putting feet up watching anything no washing eating takeaway relaxing and you'd i'd go through this cycle and uh yeah and but it never got stale having those days alone you know and i realized too that i like my own company which i never knew before that Mm. You know, I, I realized actually like well not like my own company that's odd I like being a lot having alone I used to I used to previously say oh no I was always around people never in a house by myself and I'd learned that oh I like those I like coming home from work and just sitting there not opening my mouth not saying a word to anyone just eating and drinking watching tv <laughs> going to bed when I wanted to playing on the drums if I the high life. you know oh. what Realize not only do I like my own company, I have realized at the grand old age of 48 that I need it for my health. Yes, green tile. I actually need it. And I didn't realize that until I started to have it. Where I I am a better parent. I'm a better I'm a better everything now that I have some time to myself. Yeah, and you and once you start getting it too, you you really know when you haven't got it. Oh you know, my, God. my mind's racing. I can't relax at night. I don't sleep as well. You know, if I don't get at least a quarter of time just peace and quiet by myself, yeah, I these days, you know, you really come to appreciate, you know, yeah, can't speak highly enough of it. Yeah, it's I'm all rich for this lady. Divorce? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. For, Go for, for it, girl. She called us girls. <laughs> you know, I, I I feel guilty today. I think I'm the am I the first Am I the first heterosexual male on the, on the show? Just trying to think about that. No, Harley, Breen. Harley Breen's our first first straight guy, but you're rare on the ground. I only let a few of you in, Steve. I only want yeah. the ones that I really adore. All right, we're going to finish up on my two favourites. No shade on my ex, so tell me a stupid thing that an ex has done or someone on a date did where you went, oh, Christ. Um, okay, my worst ex one, although, you know, let me preface this one by saying I did way more, you know, I did more than my fair share of stupid Oh, shit. you'd be a nightmare. I, I was. I am. <laughs> I am such a... I'm, it's like I'm an only child. I was actually brought up between two sisters, right? But as far as I understood, everyone in the world when I grew up thought I was the greatest human being alive. 
as far as I'm aware. My grandmother constantly told me, my mother constantly told me, at school everyone told me I was the smartest kid. You know, I was this tiny little kid who was smart. And so everyone treated me like I was the greatest thing ever. And I yeah, blame yeah. them. Not my fault. You know what? Anyway. Something about going back where we're going full circle with the class stuff. There's something about being a big fish in a small pond that is yeah. very helpful. Like I was, you know, ducks at the primary school and blah, 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 blah. And I look back and I go, yeah, because there was 100 kids there. But you know, <laughs> today I'm like, oh, my God, I really am very, I'm, I'm actually special. And you know what? That's actually helped. That's helped yeah. the knocks of life. I was shocked, though, when I grew up and my sisters told me, no, mum and grandmother, everyone told us we was the best too. <laughs> no, was, they always told me I was the special. The anyway, yeah. But I got, I'll tell you the worst one, though. And as I say, look, it's, 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 uh, the first time I was in a relatively serious relationship after separating, my ex-wife somehow got wind. My sister accidentally told her that I was away with my girlfriend in Dalesford for the weekend. And she texted me on the Saturday night saying, Something's come up. I'm dropping um, our son around to your doorstep in um, three hours' time and uh, um, no discussion, end of conversation. Oh, wow. And I didn't know what had gone on. I had to just whiz home. You know, I just <gasps> call off the weekend and whiz home from Tailsford. And I found out afterwards, yeah, my, my sister rang me and said, I'm really sorry, but I was chatting to such and such on the phone and I mentioned you're away in Dalesford and she wow. got really angry and... She was very apologetic afterwards and oh, uh, you know, oh. totally apologetic. We'd had a few things and every time within 24 hours, I'd get a call. I'm so sorry. I'd yeah. do that. And I would always try and call too, because I did my fair share of shit things too. So, yeah. but that was, my, that was the, the worst thing. in <laughs> I'm dropping him at the doorstep in three hours. Something's come it, up. Look, uh, it's so wrong, but there's part of me that also that loves it. There's just like Steve's on a date. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck I, you. <laughs> I agree in retrospect. I wish I'd thought of it. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, you go on a date, preferably as superficial as possible. Uh, she's a 10, but. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I don't think I'm too picky. And, you know, look, you know, anyone who tells me Trump's okay, you know, obviously. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, anyone who's rude to the waiters and waitresses on oh. a date, obviously. But, no, look, I would say, you know, my trivial one is I can't stand people who are into brands. You know, if they come along <laughs> with a handbag that costs five hundred dollars or something fucking yeah, stupid yeah. you know it's got those little you know a d and a c backwards or whatever yes. it is on those sorts of things you know i'm just like Ugh, i hate brands yes yeah See, that'd be my one I, I wouldn't mind if someone showed up with that handbag i'd mind if they talked about it like if mm. someone because if someone loves their special thing like producer Faye will be listening now she's got like a two thousand dollar handbag she fucking loves it she gets one you know it's a christmas present whatever like it's a huge or a big anniversary present if you love it, great. But she doesn't bang on about it. Like if yeah, someone's no, about... invested. I agree. If you've gone and made yourself feel special with something, I have yeah. a Montblanc pen that I carried around for 10 years. Made yeah. me feel special. Um, but, you know, no, no, it's showing that they think that it makes them special. It's, that it matters. It's, yeah, the brand has some yeah. value. No, you know, if it's got some yeah. meaning to you all for it, if you'd want to run them your whole life, yeah. good on you. But, no, it's, like, it's that I want you to, you know, be impressed yeah. by my shit brands. Yeah. yeah, can you? I'd like to take you home in my Porsche. Mind you, but you know, I'm a cheapskate too. So the reality <laughs> is, that the moment I see someone like spending a lot of money, I'm like, uh -uh. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy. <laughs> you know? Actually, on that note, since I've got, you know, it's a rare heterosexual male in the wild sighting on Dianelli, 
let me ask you, did you invest when you were dating? Did you invest in your bedding? In your linens? No, no. no. See, I like a really comfy mattress. So I've got a fancy mattress. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and, and I try and, you know, I try and wash my sheets once a month. That's normal, isn't it? Um, and, um, but no, no, I never invested. I can't stand all the cushions and shit people put on their bed. I go and if I see all cushions on the bed, what the f Oh dear. Um, so no, I didn't. And also, you know, I'm not good at appearances and stuff. I have no fashion sense. I don't give a shit. Um, so I don't care what the other person's wearing. So those things I'm not good at. Um, I did at one stage buy a nice car, but it wasn't like a super nice one. It was like a, I bought a, like a $60,000 car that was, you know, twice I'd ever spent in my whole life because yeah. I thought, oh, there's a lot of superficial people out there that might help me. You know, when in the early days of dating, you know, it was just a like a black station wagon. I'm not yeah. talking bush. Uh, yeah. You know, it also, you know, it had to be able to fit my bikes in the back, carry my drums around, all my son's sporting gear. So, you know, but I did do that was fairly superficial. I could have easily bought a much cheaper one. Um, you. You're glossing over the thing that I've asked you. And I'm going to say hot tip to the straight men listening because I can't tell you how many of my girlfriends sit around and talk about dating and say, I went to his house and he had sheets that were that had a rip in it and they hadn't been washed for three months and the bed wasn't made and the da not hot, Steve. I know. If Good I effort. thought a girl was coming over, I'd wash the sheets. Um, but if I didn't think a girl was coming over, eh, who cares? Put effort into the boudoir. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Effort. Yeah, no, Right. goes a long way. You don't have to have five hundred dollars sheets, but I'm like, you know, don't live like a frat boy either. Dr. Steve Allen, thank you so much for joining us. As always, you're an absolute joy. I'm going to ask you live so that you can't say no. Will you come back? Not anytime. I love your podcast. Please. It's just been And let me um ask you my last, very, very last question. When you're listening to me and various other people giving advice. As a medical uh, mental health professional, do you ever go, oh, fuck? No, hardly ever. You know, I've got to tell you, my commonest, sometimes I did, though. Sometimes in your last one, I thought you were a little bit mean towards guys. But And sometimes I'd go, oh, that's fucking bullshit. Women are no better on that one. You're just rose-coloured glasses. Sometimes I thought that. But more often I'll tell you what I think. And this does, you know, more often than not, I think um, you know, wisdom so much more important than knowledge. Am I saying that right? So, you know, yeah. that's, but I learned that actually as a very young doctor, I remember getting some of my first shoots from this psychologist and she was just unbelievable. She knew everything that was going on in the room. You know, she could reach across to someone and say something and I go, what's she worried about them for? They're perfectly fine. And they'd burst into tears because she'd noticed a blink of their eye or something that I hadn't picked up on. And she'd been doing it for 25, 30 years. And, you know, I very early realised that experience outweighs reading and, you know, books and science and knowledge 50-fold. So the commonest thing I think is, is, and, yeah, the, you know, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but the commonest thing I think is, Oh, fuck, I wish I knew that when I was, you know, with my patients. <laughs> because oh, as I say, I'm not that good. You know, I'm really good. You know, I specialise in medical problems, cancer, HIV, things like that. You know, yeah. I'm really good at knowing what it's like to have those problems and yeah. knowing what this experience is and helping people tease it out. But I'm terrible at <laughs> understanding relationships. They're so complicated. Individuals are complicated. Put two together and it's 30 times more complicated. Oh, 
Oh, 100%. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And I'm no good at, you know, cancer and HIV and all the rest of it. So, you know, it takes all sorts. And it's just, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a, you know, by our age, everyone's lived a life. And I think what I'm really honestly trying to do with the podcast is kind of honour that experience, regardless of the age of the listener, just to kind of Mm. go, if you have been around the block a bit, you know, you learn some things and you come to things with a different perspective. And uh, that can be actually really helpful for your own growth to to listen to that. And just talking about it. You know, people don't talk about relationships in an an honest way very often. And I think that's what's... um, that's what I appreciate. I enjoy. That's what I get the most. I, I like the funny bits too, but that's what I get the most joy out of hearing people being so honest. Yes, me too. Well, thank you, Dr. Steve, and we will see you again. You go and enjoy your glorious afternoon in Bali. Thanks, Nelly. Have a good one All down right. there in Melbourne. Cheers. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice. Dear Nelly, yes, a help would be nice. Dear Nelly. I'm eager to hear your point of view Dear Nelly, there's a lot to explore Dear Nelly, when you're 40 or more Dear Nelly, so I'm hoping we can talk it through Hey, thanks so much for listening to Dear Nelly. Now, don't be shy. I would love to hear your questions and comments. To send me a recording or an email, go to nellythomas.com and follow the links. It's super easy and you might hear me talk about your question in a future episode. Huge thanks to producer Sam Peterson from the Producer Boy Creative Production team and to producer Faye Younger, who in addition to being an excellent human, is also a brilliant real estate buyer's advocate and can be found at youngerhill.com. Thanks to Acast and all the team. And lastly, to you. Without the listeners, I'm just a middle-aged mole talking shit to no one. Please rate, review and consider subscribing for five bucks a month for a bonus episode and to help me keep the lights on. And tell your bloody mates, would you? I'd really appreciate it. Love yous.